You're listening to Casey Forum with Kathy Quinn. Public affairs with an entertaining spin. Hey, everybody. This is Kathy Quinn from Fox 4, and uh, we are here with my podcast to talk about all sorts of things this weekend. We're going to be talking to Dee Wallace of E.T. fame, and, of course, she played the mother, and she's just fabulous. My favorite, my favorite film. Well, you'll have to find out and find out what hers is. It's the same one. But Dee is on a new mission, and she's had so many wonderful things happen in her life. Her mission now is to spread love as a healer. She's written a sixth book. It's uh, getting out there, and she just wants people to know that they can change their lives for the better, that there is hope out there, and she's just so cool to talk to. Of course, you know you know that she went to Wyandotte High School here in the metro area, so Dee, I can't wait to talk to her. I'm going to talk to one of the Wahlberg brothers. Okay, you know his brothers are in the musical group, and uh, they're both actors. They're great. Well, Jim is spreading the word about hope on another uh, platform. This, of course, is for uh, folks who have substance abuse problems, people who are addicted. It's called The Big Hustle, and it's a book that he's written. So we'll talk to him and find out where the hope is for these people out there. And for lots of folks out there, they know that I've done my radio show for many, many years, and I've always used the music from The Elders. In case you don't know, The Elders Group, a Celtic rock group formed back in 98. They've been inducted into the Kansas Music Hall of Fame. They won a Telly Award for their performance at the uh, Plaza Lighting last year, and they are also Emmy-nominated for a documentary shot by John McGrath from the PBS station KCPT, And it's called Going to Arklow, and PBS is going to air it again. But uh, the reason that I mention this is because I always use their music, because in case you don't know, the lead singer is my husband, Ian, the drummer, and multi-instrumentalist is my son, Kian. And, you know, we've been together, the band family, for many, many years. And most recently, we lost a wonderful, wonderful person. They're all fabulous in the band, Steve Phillips. And Steve Phillips was also of Rainmakers and Steve, Bob, and Rich, And recently, Steve lost a battle with pulmonary fibrosis. Um, He was a great guy. He was talented. Um, People loved him. And you can just see all over the postings that they've had. And he's got a fabulous family. And I'm going to end the podcast today with a song written by Kian Byrne. And it's uh, also a video. And it won a Telly Award. And so Steve produced it along with Ian. And it's gorgeous. It's called When I'm Gone. So uh, just listen to the words. That'll be at the end of the podcast. But first up, we are going to talk to Miss D. Wallace. Well, let's see. D. Wallace is from Kansas City, Kansas, and she has made it big. She's an actress. Let me just go down the list. A writer, a healer. D. what else? You're doing so many things. What a wonderful career you've had. I have had an amazingly fabulous life, <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's still going. And I, my intention is just to keep creating it that way, baby. Hey, you look fabulous. You sound fabulous. You know, do, does it bug you when people ever say, like, they'll come up to me and say, hey, you know, when are you going to retire? And I'm looking at them and go, what are you talking about? I'm just getting started, right? Yeah, I, doesn't that drive you crazy? <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's a, and let me tell you, actors never want to retire. <laughs> Right, we're we're the one profession, maybe musicians, yeah. that that go. No, I I, I want to go on for that last performance and, <laughs> like Irene Ryan, go back to my room, take a nap, and not wake up. <laughs> but you know you what? Know? You've, you've had so many different, um, like different, you know, career paths, right? I have, and um, 
And I enjoy that. I enjoy exploring all the different parts of me. You know, I I have to attribute my upbringing and being raised in Kansas City mm-hmm. um, for a, a lot of my qualities and a lot of the reasons that I do the things that I do. You know, my mom um, really kind of started and uh, created the uh, explosion of the Cancer Action Society that's there. And so I grew up in the Methodist Church uh, with a good, good Kansas religious upbringing. And um, I watched my mom take care of people and love them. Mm-hmm. through their healing processes, and Grandma was, you know, the matriarch of the church and took care of everything, wow. and my mom did all the the religious plays at church and directed them and everything. So I, I'm really lucky, Kathy. I come from a childhood... It was a real dichotomy because of my dad and his alcoholism and his mm. suicide, but I come from a family that really taught love. And, and that's the key, and especially nowadays, Dee, isn't it? For me, it's the key to everything. And I, you know, I'm, I'm on a quest mm-hmm. to remind people of that, especially during these times where everything is so volatile, and I have a lot of my healing clients that are going, I don't know how to make decisions about, you know, the the politics that are going on, and I, and the money, and the, the discourse, and the divisiveness that's going on in the country, and I tell them, go back to love, because if Something does not resonate with love. You do not want it in your life. You do not want it in your world. You don't want it in your country. And um, it's so simple. It becomes, all the questions become so incredibly simple when you stop and say, okay, does this resonate with love? Because for me, Kathy, the first thing I was taught in Bible school Mm-hmm. is God is love. So if we are not participating in love, we are not serving God. Was that what helped you when you went as a young actress in 1982 to Hollywood? You had that love with you. You had that faith. You had that, hey, I'm going to make it. Was it, is that what made you stand out? Because you got such a great role in E.T. I mean, your personality and everything. You know, I think it was that blind faith. Ah. Uh, some people call it naivete. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yep. a big believer in naivete <laughs> okay. because the more naive you are, the less you have built up from your monkey mind and society about your limitations. Mm. So you go out without, you know, worrying about all these limitations and what if, and it's probably not going to happen, and the probabilities are blah, 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 blah. You know, by that time, you don't even get on a plane and go to New York. So I, again, I, I was raised 
going, you can do this, Dee Dee, you can do this, Dee Dee. Now, I have to tell you, my mom, when I told her, because, you know, I taught a year of high school at Washington. Uh I taught um, theater and English. And when I told my mom I was going to go to New York to do this, she said, oh, Deanna, be an actress, but can't you do it in Kansas? And I went, well, yeah, I could do it in Kansas, but I got a little bit bigger vision than that. What did, you what, know? What did she say? Was she around then when you were able to make it big? Oh, gosh, yes. Yeah. Oh, and she was just, because, you know, my mom was a beautiful actress. She, <sighs> she performed for the mayor and all over Kansas City. She was, that's. I remember watching her do um, a 30-minute reading on the crucifixion at church. And people from four states would come to hear my mom perform. And I looked around, Kathy, and all these grown men were crying and the women were crying. And I, I remember sitting in that pew. I was around eight years old. And, and saying, I want to do what my mommy's doing. Oh, my. That's fabulous. And you then, know, I wanted, I've always wanted to move people. And, well, I believe that actors are healers also mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. we give people a, a right to cry when they can't, a right to laugh when they won't. You know, to question, to learn, to be practice their fears. Mm-hmm. Uh, in as far as the horror genre goes, that I'm so into. So, I can't believe that. That's hilarious. Let me say this: that uh, obviously, ET is a classic. I mean, it's just it's one of my you favorites. Uh-huh. Can you be- can you do you pinch yourself sometimes and say, I can't believe I was part of history like that? No, I think I was destined for that. <laughs> okay. okay. I, I look back now, and everything that I'm teaching and how I'm guiding people and teaching love, um, that's the message of the whole film. Mm-hmm. That's what my life is all about, is keep your heart open, keep your heart light on. So then it's natural, as you say, for an actor and actress, they are healers. It's natural for you to then go into this next phase of being a healer. Explain how you help people. Do they come to you? It's like it's a practitioner, correct? Well, uh, the closest term that I would put on it that most people relate to is a life coach. I'm not a licensed life coach. I'm a channel. So... Everybody mm-hmm. is capable of doing, um, but my my specialty is to be able to connect with somebody's energy and hear where their blocks are and what's holding them back. And I'm I'm in the middle of this very large health and wellness summit that I created right now, mm-hmm. and it's amazing. Mm-hmm. You would, you, everybody would be so incredibly surprised at what science 
has, I mean, they've, they've done all uh, of these uh, incredible um, queries mm-hmm. and, and tests, testing into the power of love. Wow. And they've actually proven that our bodies and our health and our wellness, what we think is genetic, only really um, maybe less than 10% uh, of our genetics cannot be changed. And the biggest thing that brings your body and your life back into health and wellness is love. And they've proved it. They've done all these scientific studies that show that literally your DNA shifts, Mm -hmm. the telomeres on your DNA shift, um, your genetics shift when you choose to live in the state of love. And, you know, when I'm looking at my country now and i mm. i don't know it yeah this is this is not the america i grew up in and i i want to ask people today to open their hearts and so we can talk again mm-hmm. so that we can create together what we want out of love and, and so when Kathy Hannah's got a hold of me to say, hey, Dee would like to talk about her new book and would like to talk about some of the things she's doing, she said it's Dee Wallace phones home with the message of love for all of America. Your message is, folks, you need to get back to love. In everything you create. You want better health? Absolutely. You want more money? Absolutely. Go to love. See, most of us are trying to create more money while we hate not having money. And the universe doesn't respond that way. You know, that old saying, God helps him who helps himself? Mm-hmm. Well, if you break it down into scientific talk, that says, and again, this is proven with many, many, many tests by mm-hmm. the government mm-hmm. and other people, that whatever you focus on, you create more of. So if we keep trying to focus on getting rid of a disease, our brain thinks in pictures, and we keep it focused on the disease instead of the love and the harmony that will bring our bodies back into balance. Same thing with money. Same thing with relationships. I'm working with a woman right before uh, I spoke with you, and she said, I, I just don't understand. I don't understand why everybody leaves. You know, I get in all these great relationships and they leave. And I said, so tell me about your dad. Oh, well, he left all of us when I was three years old. Oh. So you see, and I've got a great TED Talks if anybody wants to look into that more. The message, do you know, Kathy, yes. that our brains are finished, locked in around our self-esteem, how we see ourselves in the world and how we see the world seeing us. Our brains are done by eight years old. Oh, no, I never... Eight? Oh. Yeah. So, you know, uh, 
I'm asking your listeners, if you keep hitting the same wall over and over and over again, go back to your life from conception through eight years old and see what you were either taught verbally or what was modeled for you. When I was being raised, um, my grandfather, well, both my grandfathers, who had been very vital in their life, Mm -hmm. but by the time... I came along, they were sick, and both my grandmothers were taking care of them. My father, an alcoholic, my mother was taking care of him. So I couldn't figure out through all my relationships why I could only attract men who I had to take care of. Oh, my gosh. It's just incredible uh, when you start looking at all of the lessons and the belief systems that you were given through society, through your family, through your fears, through your religions, you know? So, um, so did you, did you use that, that did you, so you obviously recognized that in yourself and you were able to correct it? Well, I have now. <laughs> right. After after creating a lot of relationships with wonderful people, right. but I always had to take care of them financially or health-wise or energetically. Some way, I had to take care of them because my little girl brain said that's the way the world works, Steve. Women take care of men. All right. So using this concept, like with the lady that just talked to you, Uh, using this concept maybe in today's society, okay, let me just throw this at you. You've got some people who have never seen anything else except violence, except guns, except, um, and I'm talking about because I'm, as a reporter, I see a lot of crime that goes on on the east side of the city. It's it's very, very, 90%, it's very, the people against themselves on the city's east side. But that's all some of them have known. So how do you correct that? Okay, you have to retrain your brain. And it's easier than you think. It's so much easier than you think. But like everything, Kathy, it starts with choice. We create everything in our lives through choice, which is why it's so important that our choices are not taken away from us. Because that's one of the ways we create who we are, Ah. is by having the right to choose. So it starts with the choice, okay, this is how I was raised. This is what I believe. Is that getting me what I want? No. It's getting me more violence. It's, it's getting me more shame. It's, it's bringing me uh, less abundance. What do I want? I want everybody to ask themselves right now, what do you want? And we all want the same things. So I'm going to list them for you. We want balance. We want love in our lives. We want to be respected and honored for who we are. We want good health. We want more than enough money and abundance in our lives. Because then we can do so much more for everybody else in our lives when we have more than enough. We want civility, we want integrity, we want truth, and more than anything, 
we want to be loved, and we want to feel love. That's that's true. That's a bottom line. Your mission now, okay, Miss Wonderful Actress, um, healer, writer, you're on your sixth book. Um, your mission is to spread this love during these times right now. You want to tell people to stop, to think, to look at your life. I think that's great. I have never heard anybody talk I about I want that them before. to stop thinking. Oh, okay. I want them to stop thinking and go into their heart to feel the truth that we all know. That anything that incites violence is not, and, and that even means our thoughts, mm-hmm. especially our thoughts, that is not in alignment with love. Yes. Any, anything that disregards or disgraces is not in alignment with love. Do you think it's Go to your heart, because your heart will tell you the truth. Do you feel there's hope, Dee? Oh, I know there's hope. I work with it every day. I see lives changed every single solitary day. But I can tell you that we were made in the image and likeness of. That means... We are given the power of our own creation, which means we have to choose Mm -hmm. and direct in our lives what we want. And then God in the universe goes, yes, I will help you create that. That's great. That is great. But we have to take responsibility for our lives, guys and the direction that we give those lives. That's our great blessing that we were given, that we have the choice to choose. And man, oh man, that's, I've never heard this perspective before. And is this something what your sixth book is going to be about? Tell us about it. I know you're not quite finished with it. I'm not. um, I'm about halfway through. Yes, it's all on the creation process Ah. and exactly how to break it down and how to do it, and how easy it is, and how to get everything into alignment. And, you know, when I first realized I was channeling Kathy, I I said, why me? I'm a little girl from Kansas. Why me? And the channel said, and I use the word channel, you can use the word God, Mm -hmm. said to me, that's why because you're able to say it in a way that everybody's going to be able to understand. And, and it's proven. You're a, a well-sought-after inspirational speaker. You talked about the TED Talk, and you've got YouTube videos out there. You've got books, all sorts of things. You're, you are on fire. And let me ask you, I know people are going to want to know, in all the films you've done, we have to go back to that, Ms. Wyandotte High School Girl. I just can't believe it. So we're so proud of you, Dee. What oh, really? I, I have to tell you what my favorite film is. But what is the favorite film or favorite episode of any TV series? Do you have a favorite? Oh, Cujo! Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Yeah. Okay, I have Cujo. to tell you that's my favorite. <laughs> you, really? You were. Flip- oh, I love you. I'm telling well, you. Well, it's my favorite because I feel like I went as far as I could go as truthfully 
as I could go there in that story about a mother's love and how far she would go for her kid. Oh, my gosh. You had me sitting on the edge of my seat. And I don't like films like that. I get really nervous. Some people, I loved it. I couldn't stop. It was absolutely fabulous. And I told Kathy Hannes. Kathy Hannes is an an agent here, publicist, good friend of of, uh, Dee's, and we work a lot with her. So I told her, I said, I've never seen Cujo before. I saw it, and I fell in love. I mean, everybody loves E.T., I know that. That's just wonderful. Oh, my gosh. Oh, well, of course. You know, uh, I'm just talking from the the point of view of an actor and Mm -hmm. how much I had to give and um, the whole journey and ride. um, I I just am really, really proud of my work in that film. And you have three films, what, coming out this month, October? I do. Well, I don't know when they're coming out because they're, I'm sure, uh, at least a couple of them are waiting for... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> whether we can ever go back to a theater oh, or not. God. But um, I do have uh, three films coming out, and I had this brainstorm to do to get four other horror icons together, and each of us film a portion of this short little film, it's only 17 minutes, in our homes, you guys are going to love it. It's rolling out on um, the site Bloody Disgusting on the Internet. Um, I think it's the 10th of October. We just got the deal in place. Ooh. But it's all a take on COVID and having to stay home. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's great. I'm not going to give any more of it away than that. That is silly. Okay, so how can we find out? How can we keep up with you? What's the best place? You know, Facebook? Do you have a website? Um, well, sure, I have a website. My website is mostly all my healing stuff. It's I am, based off the I am principle that God said I am that I am. So however you define yourself, that's who you are. Mm-hmm. I am com, And, yes, you Probably uh, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook if you want to keep up with my acting stuff and everything. I I don't post personal stuff on there. I don't have any interest in telling everybody what I ate for <laughs> lunch or what my sex life is like. Okay. But, but I do post... Um, positive things and and I do update them I, for sure you'll you will find um when my little short film comes out because I'm really proud of it I can't wait I can't wait and we you know once again um hometown girl does good and you have a gorgeous daughter Gabrielle she is just absolutely beautiful good luck to her good luck to you Thank we you. hope when you come into Kansas City we want to talk we'll meet for coffee or something want to do that Oh, I'd love that, Kathy. That'd be great. I'd love that. Let's let's make that a plan. All right. We got more in the way. Stay with us. Hang on. There's more on the way with Kathy Quinn and Casey Forum.
Okay, so we're back now with Casey Form. This is Kathy Quinn from Fox 4 News. And most recently, I was able to talk to Jim Wahlberg. His brothers, of course, are in the musical group. They're both actors as well. And uh, Jim actually did two stints in prison before his life turned around. And the problem was addiction. Uh, Opioids, you know, here in Missouri, it's just gone crazy and across the United States as well. It's an epidemic. So he's written a book called The Big Hustle. I talked to him about it and we did it by Zoom. So the audio is just a little bit different. Uh, you know, things have uh, have changed during the pandemic. You know, hopefully they'll get back to normal soon. But I wanted to share that with you because I think he has a lot of insight. So here he is, Jim Wahlberg, and uh, he talks about The Big Hustle, his book. And I asked him about the opioid crisis here in Missouri and why he thinks that there is such an issue? Well, I mean, I think it's a combination of a lot of things. Um, I was, remember now, I'm back in prison for the second time. And um, I've already done five years, and now I'm doing nine years, right? So I know right out of the gate that I have to um, do something to at least create the illusion that I'm trying to get better because... I don't want to do nine years. Mm-hmm. That's the bottom line, right? And so initially the plan was let's create this illusion so we can get out and use again, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but what ended up happening was is that while I was running this game, while I was hustling, if you will, ultimately what ended up happening is, is that the hustle got run on me. The thought started to enter my mind that maybe this, maybe this can work for me too. Um, now also in the interim of starting to go to some recovery meetings and, and then having mother Teresa sort of come to the prison that I was in had a very profound effect on me as well. It sort of, um, it connected the two, it connected recovery and it connected seriously my need. If this recovery thing was going to work, it had to include God for me. And so um, once those two came together, I started to get hope, right? And that's where it begins. I, my thought process went from this will never work for me. And this is a great thing for these people. It's never going to work for me to me thinking maybe it can work for me too. And it was just a passing thought, but the thought would return. And I started to buy into the concepts of recovery and, and, and honesty and open-mindedness and willingness and also um, relying on God, you know, and um, a day at a time, they started stacking up, you know, and uh, before you knew it, I had a little bit of time together and I was free because there was plenty of, plenty of access in prison to substances. Um, but I was, I was, substance free for a period of time and also sort of getting positive reinforcing messaging right and mm-hmm. getting support from other people that had the same difficulties and and of course also a, a, an increase in my prayer life and it all just came together right and so now um i'm a, i'm a recovering person and the longer i'm recovering the closer to the front door I'm getting. Now, the closer to the front door I'm getting, the more afraid I'm getting. That now, because of these steps and these changes that I've been making, 
my family started to creep back into my life and they started to get hope again for the first time in a long time that maybe he's on to something, maybe finally he's gonna get it together. Um, and the more they buy in, for me, the more I know that if I let them down again, it's it, it's over, right? When my mom starts to get hopeful again that her son is gonna actually return, um, I knew she couldn't take another big letdown. And so uh, that was, that weighed heavy on me and it kept me some days, some, be honest with you, some days I kept, I kept clean and sober, if you will, just because I didn't want to give anybody else the satisfaction of me failing again, right? It was almost like a, uh, you know, it was like a, a, resent, a resentment thing, right? It was like, mm -hmm. I ain't gonna give them the opportunity to say, see, he wasn't gonna make it. Cause I'll be honest with you, there might still be people out there after 32 years that if I was to fall now that might say, see, I told you he wasn't gonna make it. <laughs> um, I, I pray that they're not, I pray that they're not, they're not people like that, but. Um, you're always going to have people you're always going to have people like that who cares you're you're living yeah. your good life right now i can't imagine your mom with all those kids mm. and how she felt uh, as a mom i would feel um almost i'm a failure i mean well you know at, you see here's the thing my mom was a tough is a tough lady right so my mom I'm not the only person in my family that got in trouble mm -hmm. or had problems with substances, but, or ended up in a courtroom. Um, my mother was, my mother is a very honest, straightforward woman. And my mother went into court on a number of occasions when I was very young and told the judge, lock him up because he's going to hurt somebody or somebody's going to hurt him. He's out of control. And she would never go into a courtroom and lie to a judge and say, Oh, you know, it wasn't my, my boy's fault or she knew, she knew what the deal was. And she knew that for me, and I, and I speak for me, right? I know prison saved my life. If I was allowed to continue to run, um, I definitely would never have made it right now. I'm not saying that prison is a solution. It's definitely not. Mm -hmm a solution to our addiction problems in this country. Um, there are way too many people locked up right now that have been locked up for many, many years that were simply suffering from addiction and, and, feeding, and feeding that addiction. Um, there's gotta be a better way. There's gotta be a better solution. And, and I think like that solution is really, it starts with communication, it starts with love. But for me, I, I needed to go to prison. Right, I needed to go through the difficulties that I went through and suffer the way I suffered to be the man that I am today. And, uh, and the man that I am today is a man of, of action, is a man of responsibility, a man of service. And, and I never thought I could be that guy. You're making me almost tear up. Um, well, because, and plus you're, you're a here's this tough guy talking about God. That's what's so cool well, about it. That is, for me, you know, for me, that is the way uh, for a tough guy, right? I, I can easily make my life more difficult, right? I don't even have to pick up a drink or a drug to make my life more difficult. I just need to start to think that uh, all the great stuff that happens in my life is because I'm such a great guy, mm -hmm. right? 
Because to be honest with you, I know that's not the case. I'm, I'm not a great guy. I, my record shows that I'm not a great guy, right? That I've done a lot of bad things. And, 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 uh, but I honestly feel like God is taking all of that ugliness and using it. Because I think only God can turn that ugliness into an asset so that I can use the difficulties that I've been through to reach another person struggling with addiction or multiple people. You know, I spend a lot of time in front of young people. I, we do events. I'm on tour with the DEA doing events that range from 5,000 to 10,000 kids mm -hmm. per event. And we show another film that I made on addiction and we have parents there that have lost their children and people that have suffered from addiction sharing their stories. And I mean, I could have never thought of that. I could never have come up with that. I, I could never have implemented that plan. In fact, when it was presented to me, I said, it ain't gonna work. You can't put 10,000 kids in a building and put on a movie and expect them, when you shut the lights off, to behave. But I was wrong, you know, because my best thinking is never, is never big enough. With the opioid crisis in Missouri, I did a special on it about a year ago, and it was surprising mm -hmm. the people who were addicted, a mom who just uh, had problems with her back, all of a sudden, boom, her, mm -hmm. she can't even stand up. She can't even, she has yeah. little kids. How does that happen? I don't get it. Well, here's the thing. So we hear a lot about our southern borders and, and people smuggling and doing all this stuff. This opioid epidemic in our country started was started by men in business suits and men in white lab jackets. It wasn't started by some, you know, it wasn't started in China. It wasn't started in Mexico. It wasn't started by gangsters. You know, it was started by businessmen trying to fill their pockets with money. It was started by greed. Mm -hmm. And so they created this pain medication that ultimately was initially intended for people that were in hospice care, that, you know, there was no thought of addiction. And they started to go out to the world and, and, and lie and say, we have created this pain medication. It will change the face of pain as we know it. And it's non-addictive. Right. And then they started these incentive programs for doctors to prescribe it and to salesmen to sell it and all to make money and all, I think, probably knowing that eventually they would get caught. But they started to spend a lot of a lot of their money getting legislation passed that wouldn't allow them to be convicted of crimes. They could be sued. Right. Um, but. I think they figured, well, if we make 30 billion and we, we, gotta, we get sued for 10, we're still 20 ahead, right? And so they took these extremely, the most powerful, potent pain medications, and they started to give it to everyone, right? And they, I mean, it, it, it started for the most serious things, and then they were giving it to people that were getting their wisdom teeth taken out. And they were giving it to people that, so my life, my journey started at a very, very young age, and you could see a pattern of behavior that it, it would make sense that I'm going to have these problems with addiction for a long time because it started at a very young age and I was already fully addicted. But these pain medications were given to people that never exhibited any kind of addictive nature, didn't have addiction in their family, didn't, it wasn't an issue for them. In fact, 
they were the future leaders of our country, the brightest, smartest, you know, and, and in a very short time, they became fully addicted to these pain medications. And then they were cut off, right? And then that's when our friends across the southern border and our friends in China saw this void, right? They were, they now, the pain medications, particularly Oxycontin, were under attack by the government, by the whole country. Everybody was focused on that, on that pain medication. And so they left this big void. And now these guys come in with a synthetic, even more powerful version of that pain medication. And um, yeah, I mean, people through this epidemic, which has been going on for a, it's about 15 years, a little bit longer, um, they don't technically die. They haven't been dying. They weren't dying from Oxycontin. And, and honestly, they weren't dying from heroin. They were dying from what was being put in the heroin, right? They were, they, fentanyl came and fentanyl is here to stay. And my friends in law enforcement and the DEA, they tell me that the fentanyl is here to stay. It's one, one little granula. One little granula has the strength of multiple Oxycontins. In fact, when they do raids and they know that there's potential for fentanyl to be present when they're raiding a certain place or facility, they have rubber gloves and masks and things like that on because it's so dangerous to the touch. And, you know, you're ultimately your drug dealer is the guy that's taking the fentanyl and putting it in the heroin, right? And I mean, he's not a lab technician. He's not a doctor or a pharmacist, right? Mm -hmm. He's just mixing it up. And, and ultimately the thing about opioids, heroin and fentanyl is that death is actually a, a sales tool, right? If they put out a potency level that that takes the lives of a few people right away, then that's a, that's a good thing for them business-wise. It's so crazy and insane to think, but people think people that are, are, are addicted are thinking, oh, it's more powerful, right? And I need more powerful because mm -hmm. I don't wanna feel this pain and this uncomfortability that I'm feeling. So I need it to be stronger and more potent. And, uh, you know, we've lost hundreds of thousands of, uh, of citizens, right? Citizens, not drug addicts, not junkies, not all these negative terms, these terrible words that people use. Citizens, sons and daughters, mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, co-workers, um, gone. Is there hope? Is your story a story of hope for these people who are out there? There's absolutely time? hope. There's, there's, there's absolutely hope. And I'll tell you that pre-COVID, we were seeing uh, uh, the numbers were trending downward, right? Mm -hmm. Fatal overdose numbers were trending downward. Non-fatal overdose numbers were trading, were trending downward. And then, and then COVID, right? So COVID, the thing is, is recovery is community, it's love, it's connection, it's friendship, it's, you know, it's all those things. And addiction is isolation and loneliness and pain and sorrow and separation. And, you know, we saw the numbers trending downward and then we have a pandemic that the government says, okay, everybody needs to isolate and stay away from each other and, and, and disconnect, if you will, 
from real physical contact. And uh, that can be a recipe for disaster for a person suffering from, from substance use disorder, for sure. I know Missouri, God love us. At one point we were the Independence, Missouri, uh, where Harry yeah. Truman was from, was the capital of meth. And we got that taken care of. And now opioids yeah. is just, because there's no part of the city, it's all over. Yeah. That's well, I'll tell you something else. Meth is making a huge push mm. right now across the country. And the thing is, is now they're putting the fentanyl that killed everybody in the opioid epidemic. They're putting the fentanyl in meth, right? So it will be a continuation. It'll be, it will, it will, it will cause the numbers of overdoses to go up even further because now it's multiple substances are laced with this deadly drug fentanyl. How important in your recovery, I know you've said it before, but just for the folks out there, if they have a family member, if they have a friend, how important is it to have that support? It's critical. It's absolutely critical, particularly in these times, right? And so I do encourage everybody See, the thing is, is the more other difficulties there are in the world going on, and right now they have, I don't know if there's ever been more, a more difficult time mm -hmm. in our lives, right, um, for people in general. So the more difficulties that are happening to our country and happening to the people, um, the lower the of level of importance that addiction is on that list. Right. It was very, it had a very prominent place in people's minds and hearts mm -hmm. because it was affecting everybody. Everybody knew somebody that was addicted. Everybody knew somebody that died. Mm -hmm. um, and so what I want to say is whether it's addiction or mental illness or some other difficulty right now in these times, we need to be reaching out to our loved ones as much as possible. And even people that we don't love, right? Mm -hmm. People that we know that are struggling right? For me, the best way for me to get out of my own way and my own difficulties is to be of service to others, right? So if I'm caught in my head, I need to get up, I need to get on the phone, I need to reach out to people, I need to talk to people, and I need to try to be of service to them. And it's amazing how quickly I start to forget about my own difficulties. And we need to love each other, we need to lift each other up, we need to be connected, we need to go even further than we normally would because we've been so isolated and so separated, right? Mm -hmm. So if you know somebody who's new in recovery, call them up and tell them you love them. Tell them how important their recovery is to you. Um, and if you're a person in early recovery, get on the phone, call people, look for opportunities to be of service to others that might be newer than you or struggling because we all struggle. It doesn't matter how long you've been in recovery. Any given day, I, couldn't be a tough day for me, right? And fortunately, I have many years of experience and I have a kit of spiritual tools that were laid at my feet that I can pick up and use. Um, and I also have that, that gift of willingness to be of service. That's wonderful. The Big Hustle is the book, I'm gonna get it. Um, uh, what I wanna know, what really got me to having the uh, priest hustle you thought you were hustling the priest, but you weren't. You're an you know, Irish Catholic community where you grew up, where I grew yep. up, the, the priests are very important too. I'm Irish Mexican yep. Catholic. I mean, there's so much a part of our lives. I mean, but tell yep. me how, how, did, how did he get you back? 
Well, prior to that, they weren't, priests weren't really an important part of my life. I'll be honest with you. Mm. Um, I went to church more out of tradition than out of faith, right? I went because that's what the neighbors did. And that's what my parents told me to do. And, and I wasn't taught about a loving God. I was, I was really taught about a God that was going to get me for all the bad things that I was doing. <laughs> um, and so, you know, once I, when I met Father Freitas and he approached me about a job in uh, uh, cleaning the chapel, I instantly thought about the ways I would get over on him. I wasn't thinking about faith. I wasn't thinking about church. I, I was looking at him as a person that I would uh, manipulate and, and potentially victimize, not in a physical way, but like he smoked cigarettes. So I knew I was gonna be smoking half, half of his pack of cigarettes every day. I knew that he had a phone. I knew that he had, you know, coffee. I knew that uh, at that time, my brother and his music group had come out with their first uh, cassette tape. And, and, uh, and he, he smuggled me in a cassette tape and brought in a cassette player so that I could hear my mm. brother and his group play music. And so all of those things were happening. He had a plan. His plan was he wanted to try to bring me back to the faith. He wanted to teach me about a loving God, not a God that's mm. going to get me. And, uh, and ultimately, that experience led to Mother Teresa coming to the prison I was in. And, you know, if I look at my life, the most defining moment in my life is that day, the day that she came, the day I saw her. I thought I was looking at the face of God. Oh, my gosh. It's so emotional even today, isn't it, for you? It's a, it, it is, because it's, I can go right back to that moment when she, I was, I was part of the procession. And I, you know, processing into the church and her being beckoned to come up on the stage or the altar, if you will, um, and her saying, no, no, in a very humble way, no, and staying there on the floor with the inmates. And then the words that she said, when she got up and spoke, she said things that I never heard before, right? She, she told me, and I know she was, speaking to everyone, but she was really speaking to me. And she told me that I was more than the crimes that I committed. And I was more than my prison number, that I was a child of God and that God loved me and that Jesus died for me specifically, right? And that's the way I heard it for the first time. And, uh, and it was impactful and it, it, it it knocked me down to my knees a little bit. And then the next day I went right back to Father Freitas and, and told him that I wanted to know more about my faith and I wanted to know more about God. Um, so if there is a single day in my life that is, you know, there, I've had many wonderful, beautiful days that, you know, the births of my children, marrying my wife, mm -hmm. all of those things. But ultimately, um, that day was the day that it really just all came together for me and I, and I, and I developed real hope and, and I started to develop faith. You are wonderful. Thank you so much. I'm sorry I took up so much of your time. It's just no hilarious. Worries. And I can't wait to read your book. All right. So the book, once again, is The Big Hustle. You can get it on Amazon.com. All right. That is it for us, this podcast. Number two. Yeah, number two. Kathy Quinn here thanking uh, Katie Connors, an associate producer, and Drina Byrne as well. Brought to you by KQKC. 
Music Broadcasting and Educational Foundation, a 501c3 that uh, helps us as well with the equipment and everything to do this podcast. And now, as promised, I would like to finish the podcast with a song written by Key and Byrne from The Elders, and it was produced by Steve Phillips. And as I mentioned earlier, a sad time, we lost Steve to pulmonary fibrosis. And uh, if you want to find out more to help find a cure, that'd be kind of cool to do in Steve's honor. But I want to play this song because uh, they won a Telly Award. It was actually a video. You can look it up. It's called When I'm Gone by Key and Byrne, produced by Steve Phillips. See ya. Hunger 
sun Tradition cannot fail I think we're near our final song This family's Christmas tale These are the holidays I'm glad you're around Here's a gift I made From things that I found Made me think of you For all that you are When I'm gone I'll never be far When I'm gone I'll never These are the holidays I'm glad you're around Here's a gift I made From things that I've found Made me think of you For all